Derek, Aaron, I'm here to record the podcast with you guys. Wait, I, I can see you guys. Are, are you talking? I, I can't hear you. Wait, are those Swedish subtitles? Oh, now there's English subtitles for the Swedish subtitles. Phew. And the English subtitles say, you're a woman, therefore, you're hysterical and a witch? <laughs> we are the devil. We are here to make you go crazy. 666, the number of the beast. Yay. We are Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by a coward myself and a horror movie monster boy, Aaron. This is our second episode of our second annual season of Spoop for October and Halloween. And once again, we are tackling witches as our cinematic theme for this year. And joining us this time is Lauren, my sister-in-law and good friend. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. I just watched a a very strange Swedish silent film uh, that I'm very excited to find out what that was actually all about. But beyond that, I'm... (laughs) Doing pretty well, I think. Good, good. Uh, And what about you, Aaron, my beautiful co-host? You know, just another day in the hellscape, so having fun. (laughs) I know, right? Lauren, this is your third appearance. I think last episode was Heather's third appearance, so uh, no introduction really is needed this time around, so we'll just go straight into recommendations where things that are related to horror, be them other movies, TV, books, video games, etc., and recommend it to each other and maybe some of our audience. So Lauren, with that, do you have any horror recommendations for us today? So kind of recommendations and kind of just talking about old media. It has been a minute since I've been on. And in light of the pandemic, a lot of what I've been watching has just been comfort blanket media, like the video games, the movies, all of it. Oh, yeah, I get that. And uh, in light of that, I think my ultimate comfort blanket movie is actually the 1999 Mummy movie, which Hell I think is yeah. technically enough of a horror movie. No, it, it counts. Right? It's great. <laughs> well, And especially in light of the scarabs. I mean, that is my ultimate comfort blanket movie anytime i'm upset i've had a bad day i turn it on and just automatically feel better but it does hit me just how terrifying parts of that movie are oh yeah and i think like the scarabs and then also for me you know i've worn glasses most of my life the scene where the uh american breaks his glasses and is in this dark hallway and can't see and and it did strike me that like oh yeah this is a horror movie yeah it's weird that this is a comfort blanket for me it's a good range of all emotions action horror adventure a little bit of everything like there's some romance in it like it's a good just catch all fun pop popcorn movie that has definitely held up outside of the CGI. Right. You know, that's the one thing that really dates that movie. Everything else, honestly, is still great to this day. Yes. It's just a fun movie. Yeah, yeah. It's very fun, and I hope, and he kind of seems like he's starting to a little bit, but I hope Brendan Fraser has like this Keanu Reeves resurgence where people realize just how good of an actor he was, and he still is. Yeah. Because right. I have been seeing, like, for the longest time, The Mummy got crapped on when we were in high school school and maybe even in college but i have been seeing more of a resurgence of people being like no the mummy's actually really fucking good and fun yeah so i mean and i'm a, a little bit of an apologist for the second movie although i do think the second movie is kind of a mess but the first one is a ton of fun right i'm just all in on a brendan fraser like i love brendan fraser so 
much. And I do think the biggest thing about the series that's kind of holding it back, I mean, you mentioned the CG holding up. The Rock Scorpion King CGI is like the textbook bad CGI example. Like everything I watch cites that scene. You're you're right. So, Oh, yeah. I think, too, like this is not an original thought to me necessarily, but I have heard few people say that Nightmare on Elm Street would be arguably one of the scariest movies of all time if it weren't kind of tainted by the goofiness of the sequels. And I do feel that that is the same for the Mummy movie. Not that it would be the scariest movie of all time, but that people would have more respect for it right? as kind of this singular one-off really solid action horror adventure movie all around, if not for all the terrible sequels. Right. And yeah, like I totally agree about Brendan Fraser. I think he's super fun when he does show up and stuff. And he's starting to get back out there more. Like he's actually about to be in Soderbergh's new movie. Good. Awesome. But he, uh, he had kind of like a rough patch in his career dealing with a lot of personal stuff and you know definitely he's one of those people that I want him to kind of pull through because I've always liked him and stuff and I think he's a fun actor yeah yeah love Bernard Fraser. well and the rest of that cast is great too it's not just him he does a phenomenal job yeah, but Rachel like, Vice is Rachel great Vice in that is, movie is awesome Arnold Vosloo is the guy that plays, like, the main mummy dude. Right. There's lots of that guy actors and character people in it that are great. Well, and the brother, John Hammond? No, that's the guy from Jurassic Park, the character who created Jurassic Park. (laughs) His name is John, and his last name starts with an H, and I hate that I'm blanking on this because I love that actor. He was kind of the main Dominus in Spartacus. I've loved him forever, and he is spot-on perfect in that movie. Like, he's perfect in that role, like, just enough. John Hanna. Okay, there it is. <laughs> Not the mastermind behind Jurassic Park. I apologize, sir, for <laughs> impugning you in that way. But um, yeah. speaking to him and Brendan Fraser, is there is kind of this sense of you're comedic and you can have this funny performance, but there's also like a heart and kind of a gravitas to it for these yeah. like not as gravitas heavy roles. So yeah, I, I love The Mummy. And um, yeah. that was kind of my big comfort blanket. And my other one, weirdly enough, is Resident Evil 4. Fuck yeah. The game. Okay, I thought you were talking about the movie. Oh, no. And I was about to say, like, that's a very specific movie sequel, but no, you're talking about the game. Okay, thanks for that clarification. I love that. Yeah, I'm just a really unique person. I just like yeah. a broad range of hyper-specific movies. There are apologists for those movies out there, so. Absolutely, yeah. I don't think, I couldn't even tell you which one 4 is, like Resident Evil, Apocalypse, End of retribution, retribution end, revengeance yeah. end game oh. but yeah so talking about the game uh it did come out on switch and so it was this really nice uh, combination of being able to play laying in bed before i went to sleep and also this game that i played like 20 times and i just love that game so much it was weird how much of it was familiar from how many times i played it but how much of it was still scary yeah you do reach a point where you're like okay i know the chainsaw man is going to come at this point i know i'm going to have to do this I know I'm going to have to do these things. But when you're still standing there, like, oh, God, he's still coming. Like, why isn't he stopping? I've shot him how many times? Like, it's still that fear. And I was like, that game is just so perfect. Like, I don't think I will ever find a horror game that I love as much as Resident Evil 4. Yeah, if I had to make a top 10 all-time games list, Resident Evil 4 would be in there, and it might even break my top five. I'm the same way as you. I've played through that game probably about, like, in all seriousness, if I'm thinking back on it, like, probably seven times or so. So nice. I've only played it though on PS2 and 
and I want to say I played the Wii version where you use like the Wiimote to aim a little bit as well, but I played the shit out of it on PS2. The Wii version is what I remember watching y'all play in the dorms. Yeah, yeah, that's the one we played a lot of in the dorms, but it's great that it keeps getting ported to everything else um, because it's a must-play game in my opinion, especially for survival horror fans, and it really captured the idea of survival and just how stressful survival can be in a video game way before any of these now survival games are out. Granted, it didn't use like a thirst meter and a hunger meter or any of that, but it did use the idea of conserving like your ammunition because if you run out when a chainsaw guy is attacking you, you're more than likely going to die if you just have the knife. And then yeah, like you're saying, it was the perfect mix of action movie, but still being scary horror that five and six really fucked up and like leaned way too heavily into the action to the point of it being bananas nutso but four is that perfect balance and i'd still argue that four is the best in the series by far even though like there are a lot of other great ones like two and seven and all the remakes but yeah four is just the pinnacle yeah i think it is kind of like the distillation of i mean you're exactly right the balance between action and too much horror so yeah definitely i had so much fun and i did also just forget how long that game is for some reason i always think once you hit the castle i'm like oh i'm almost done and it's like no girl you got like two more levels (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, you gotta guide leon through the regenerator scene which is still like one of the best enemy reveals in a horror game i've ever seen oh man oh but yeah so the other thing i did watch i don't even know why i chose this one in particular in light of the pandemic i wasn't really able to travel as i usually kind of would around august and and see family and i got weirdly nostalgic for christmas but i knew if i started watching christmas movies like that would be it like it would be crying too much just can't can't deal with that so i ended up watching krampus and love it yeah it's so fun it's so well done it's not like scary scary but i would see it actually you know with christmas when you're in the kitchen and you're cooking and you're all just kind of hanging out we will be playing krampus just to be aware yeah it's in the same vein as gremlins for sure it's that like fun scary family thing it's like that good fusion of that we actually watched that with my whole family including my grandparents a year or two ago and i could tell that they were a little like hmm okay at the end of it (laughs) but that was definitely like a fun one to watch with our entire family just how crazy it gets by the end for sure yeah that that movie's a blast yeah and the characters are real it doesn't have that where it all kind of ends up being i mean it kind of is but also not at the end where it's sort of happy but you know they haven't resolved their issues they're still fundamentally different people with different beliefs and backgrounds and they're all self-centered in their own ways i really really enjoyed that movie so i'm looking forward to that one when actual christmas gets here yeah the other two i will talk about is i did listen to you guys's creep episode uh with lamp and that caught me watching creep and i think because i had just listened to your episode and you guys made some kind of connections with ted bundy i really had ted bundy on the brain as i was watching it and i was thinking about mark duplis as an actor where clearly like he is a handsome guy there are shots in that where i see him and i'm like okay he's very handsome he's very charismatic i would maybe stick around if i was kind of interacting with this person and they came off with this whole story about being near the end of their life and the tragedy but then there were also these other shots where just the way he was shot the way he was lit kind of the faces he was making he looked so blank and Mm -hmm. unattractive and very scary and it did make me think of ted bundy where he had that chameleon aspect and where he was sort of famously handsome and charismatic but then also ended up looking like a completely different person yeah and with that i was thinking a lot about the criticism i've heard of creep which is 
why would you stick around? That's so stupid. Why wouldn't he just leave? Why wouldn't he just leave? And I was looking for those reasons to be like, I think I would stay, which is kind of the point of the movie, which is what you guys sort of got into, is that there is sort of this aspect of Aaron that he's not necessarily an up and up guy. But also part of the aspect of the movie is that he wants to leave. Yeah. He doesn't want to stay there, but through the sort of social expectations and awkwardness, he's sort of forced to stay. Yeah. Well, I think I might have brought it up on that episode, but I remember reading them being interviewed after the movie was made. Um, Mark Duplass, as well as the director, which I'm sorry, I forget his name off the top of my head, but John Hammond. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they were saying, like, his character, Mark Duplass, is obviously the creep. He's the spoiler alert for creep, but he's obviously a serial killer. Like, he's the psycho. But they go into it and talk about Aaron is also a bit of a creep in his own right. Who is creeping on who at certain aspects of the movie? And I think you brought up a good point about how you would probably be able to be talked into staying at least for longer than you normally would be uncomfortable with a character like that because of his kind of sociopathic charisma. And But then on top Mm. of that, like in what the movie sets up is that Aaron is kind of desperate for this job. He needs the money. So he is kind of willing to eat a little bit of shit to like get that paycheck basically and that kind of leads him to being doomed by the end but that's a good movie and I I find myself kind of returning to it like thinking about it from time to time especially when people bring it up yeah it didn't stand out to me as much the first time but just after I was viewing it through this sort of lens is I was thinking about what a like power play move that whole story about I have an inoperable brain tumor I only have so long to live because with that too there's kind of a built-in excuse where aside from the sort of desperation and needing the money you would be like okay but this person has a brain tumor like maybe that's kind of where the strangeness of behavior is coming from and also you feel really bad for that person so you're going to give them a lot of leeway in that yeah. case yeah but yeah and then the you guys mentioned creep too i don't know if you were going to have an episode on that one at some point but of course i watched creep and then had to watch creep too just had to keep going with it i think the big thing with that movie aside from all the other things it does well is that they put in such a good explanation for why she was staying around so i think the thing with creep is that as a woman i wouldn't have even answered the craigslist ad in the middle of the woods let alone kind of stuck around for as long i do think that there is sort of a gender imbalance with the feeling of safety there and i think making her not just having this like youtube series where she really needs a hook and she really needs to pick it up and get more attention to her youtube series but also being the sort of person that is intrigued by these dangerous experiences such that she would stick around because that was my big thing is I was like I don't even go on Craigslist unless I (laughs) absolutely have to I'm not touching that that's just a one-way ticket to murder town like I'm just not doing that that was just one thought I had after watching it is how they did such a good job of grounding that in realism to where you wouldn't have that response of no woman would stay here or go or do any of this yeah I think too like I love the aspect of the second movie where she knows the entire time that what she's doing is dangerous and sketchy but then you start to see kind of the balance shift between the two of them and she starts to become just as predatory and you start to see like him picking up on that and playing with that idea and pushing her toward that and pushing her to like be like him and that whole dynamic between the two of them where she's willing to go with that a little bit farther and see like how far she can push it with this guy because she knows if she leaves he can't say shit about her and she can't say anything about him really like there's that kind of weird unspoken like I can just 
this, kill you, and you will never be seen again. But then, like, I can completely out you on my show, and you're going to be hunted the rest of your life, right? Right. And that dynamic between the two of them and them pushing each other to these further limits of how far they're willing to go to, like, fuck with each other is really interesting to me. Right. Yeah, it is. It's. I don't know if I would say it's better than the first, but it's certainly worth a watch. I enjoy it more than the first, I think, because you get a lot of the, like, is he, is he not, dot, 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 out of the way. You know from the get-go going in that he is this killer, and let's just see how the story shifts from here. And I'm curious to see in the third one that supposedly is still happening, where the story morphs from there. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, this it's the kind of thing where you can only pull that trick once without completely reinventing it or totally taking it in a different direction Mm. and the sequel takes it in a different direction so i'm curious to see what the third one's gonna do all said and done cool did you have any other recommendations lauren uh no i think those are kind of the main horror related things i've consumed in the past couple months what about you aaron uh if i'm being honest i just finished editing our last episode which was very lengthy and i've been busy with work and just life in general and honestly i don't really have any recommendations other than just blows my mind yeah i know uh Life life comes at you hard sometimes. Yeah. It is the season of spoop, as people will be, you know, listening to this episode. I agree with Lauren in that my plan, you know, peek behind the curtain, it is not October yet. Um, we are a day away. <laughs> I plan on watching basically nothing but comfort food movies this year. I'm not going to push myself to find new things and discover new stuff. <sighs> I'm just going to be lazy this year and just watch shit that I enjoy. No house that Jack built for you this year. No, like something that fucking heavy duty. No, <laughs> like I'm not quite even interested in seeing that. And I, I like Von Trier, unlike most people. I don't know. Like I'm never really like looking to push my limits necessarily. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like I'm not gonna go way out of my way to find only new stuff. You know, I, I have a tendency to do that. Where, for instance, this past summer with June Sploitation with F This Movie, which is another wonderful podcast everybody should check out. I made it a mission to only watch things that I had not seen. So I watched, I think, ultimately like 28 brand new movies, some great discoveries, some like, why'd I waste my time with this? But being like the state of the world, especially right now leading up to this election and just everything else going on around us, I need some comfort food. I need a little bit of a warm blanket, like you were saying, Lauren, and I'm planning on just watching the hits basically this month. I've got that Evil Dead 1 and 2 Steelbook 4K crazy that just came out with a giant remastered version of that. I've also got some stuff coming from Arrow, so like, I'm planning on just taking it easy this year, but yeah, I have no recommendations as of right now, so sorry, I know it's the middle of Spooptober, but it is what it is, so that's all I will ultimately say is the real horror is the lives that we live, so make sure you're registered to vote, go vote, vote early if you can, and uh, let's try to get back to normal as soon as possible. So, yeah, back to you, dear. (laughs) (laughs) So, I have a recommendation i guess you could say it's sort of one giant continuous one 
that's leading into different avenues. So let me just kind of get into it. My recommendation is Among Us, which if you have paid any attention to like Twitch the last several weeks or even YouTube gaming channels, Among Us has exploded in popularity. Yeah, so sorry to interrupt you, but I am one of those people where I have no fucking idea what this is. I just see like memes of it online. So expand my horizons. Tell me what Among Us is. So it's a game that came out back on Steam, I think, like back in 2018, like June of 2018. And it's made by like a development team that only has like three fucking people, or at least at the time only had about three people. I don't know. Like I didn't try to look up like what caused it to suddenly explode in popularity. I don't know if it was a specific Twitch streamer, um, like a super popular one that just decided to start playing it with a group of friends and it caught on or what. And it's kind of funny that this exploded in popularity right after Fall Guys did because it's very much like the art direction is very much like a cartoonish like bean people of different colors like <laughs> so what Among Us is specifically is an online sci-fi murder mystery game kind of like Hidden Werewolf or whatever that game is called uh, okay so you okay. get a group of uh, four to five people all the way up to ten people and it's basically you're going around you're acting like little spacemen that are trying to complete these tasks around a spaceship or like a I think they only have like three maps but the spaceship is the original map they have like a winter base as another map which is totally a direct homage to the thing and you have to complete these tasks in a certain amount of time and within the 10 people are from one to three imposters and the imposters their whole goal is to act like the rest of the crew and kill them off one by one or prevent them from completing their tasks in time but most games end with either all the imposters getting killed off all the tasks being completed or all the crew members getting killed off by the imposters so the way that you're supposed to combat the imposters is that anytime like you see a dead body you get the option to hit like emergency meeting immediately and you get to literally discuss with everybody whose body was it where did i discover it where were you when this happened how did this happen and you can actually do it through text because there, there's actually a mobile app of among us i think that's for free but most people on twitch play it over steam and they usually play it with like a group of seven to nine other people that they know and they all do it through voice chat and yeah. when you're killed off you know who it is but you basically are muted for the rest of the game sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. but mm. you can continue to still play as a ghost and like try and complete all your tasks to help out your team finish before the imposters kill everybody and if you're killed off as an imposter as a ghost you can still sabotage stuff like the lights and force people to do certain tasks and get them in certain rooms and the way that imposters are killed off is in the emergency meeting if they get enough votes then they are killed off and you can actually set the settings to either tell you if the person you just ejected was another crew member or imposter my favorite thing that i've seen people do is they turn that setting off so you never know if you're ejecting the right person or not until the game is over <laughs> that's good and the game seems relatively well balanced and like there are a lot of balancing options there's a cooldown for killing if you're an imposter like if you kill someone you can set the cooldown to be like 10 seconds long or you can set it to be 30 seconds long and usually if it's longer it's harder for imposters to win etc etc there's all these options you can tinker with to make the game either easier or harder for the imposters or crew members i haven't even played this myself mind you i've just been watching twitch streamers 
play and the best shit is watching them all play and like seeing someone from especially if they've been chosen as the imposter at random at the start of the game getting the crewmates to turn on each other by lying to them and then killing them off in rooms by themselves and the thing that helps too is the imposters have certain abilities like they can travel through the vents when the regular crew members cannot but they have to be careful because if a crew member sees them hop into a vent in a room they can run and go hit the emergency meeting button sure, you can out and out them yeah yeah uh, but it is always fun when they like kind of suspect being suspicious or sus as a lot of people say as they're playing the game and then being able to convince the team to turn on the person who just called the emergency meeting by being like oh they self-reported they're the guilty one but it is very much like the idea of the thing made into an online game that idea and the thing of who can you trust are you actually the thing or are you actually my crew member and how do we know it is just a fun like social experiment to watch this unfold if it's not obvious the reason why i'm including this as a recommendation for horror specifically is you're literally being hunted down either by strangers or like your own friends but you have no idea who to trust there's tension there yeah the person walking into the room with you as you're going to do like your task in electrical might kill you in the next five seconds and you don't see it coming and then you can not say anything about it and you can either watch them like turn the rest of the crew on themselves or like you get to see them get their comeuppance and a lot of people have made like fan art and stuff to say like the imposters are actually like the thing or like aliens or if they're just spies that are meant to sabotage um there's not really a story story that's kind of behind this it's more just a fun online game this is exactly you know like you mentioned kind of along the lines of werewolf or whatever but there is a walking dead version of bang uh, which is like a card game group thing that's basically the same idea there's a walking dead version of it where you have the leader of the group of survivors and then you have some like loyalists to that person who are trying to protect them and then you have these rogue agents that are trying to kill the leader and take over and you don't know who anybody is you all pick a character that is from the story that has their own kind of unique power that you can take advantage of. You get weapons, there's random draw cards that throw kinks in the whole thing. One of them being like infection, where the infection literally just passes from person to person and then if you roll the wrong way, like you basically get wiped out and it's just kind of a try to eliminate all the opposition and keep the leader alive by the end. So it's very similar. That's one that we played with some friends back in Hattiesburg pretty often when you brought it up i thought the imposter equivalent for that game would be like oh i've been bitten by a zombie time to hide my bite from the rest of the team and see if i can affect everyone else (laughs) if i remember correctly i think there is like a weird card that you accidentally can draw that is something similar and you just have to keep it to yourself sometimes there are also like weird backup cards that you can use for certain things that can sabotage people and again there's just a lot of that how do I really know like what side you're on kind of thing? So yeah, that game is very similar and fun. Yeah, that's really cool. I love hidden role games. And the one I played the most, I think because it is so simple, is just Werewolf. But I think because that game is so simple, it actually ends up kind of turning into a mess. I don't think I've ever played it where it didn't just turn into someone accuses someone else of being a werewolf because they're acting suspicious based on not that much. And that person's like, well, I think you're a werewolf because you accused me. And it ends up just kind of devolving. So I do think 
in those games, you need those extra mechanics to where you actually are yeah. given some information that's not just, you're being weird, you're a werewolf. No, you're being weird, you're a werewolf. And and meanwhile, the werewolf's just sitting silently waiting for everyone to kind of scream at each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and there are bits of that in Among Us, but it seems very well balanced because a lot of the games I've watched, the imposters, for the most part, lose eventually. I'd say about a 40-60 split or maybe a 30-70 imposters win, but it's just so fun to even just watch as like an observer. I would highly recommend if you're going to play this game, if you can find five other people or six other people you know, I mean, hell, if you can get all 10, that's even better. But I'm if, down with this. Yeah. If you can find a group of people that's at least six or more, I'd say 10 ideally, and you can all get on like the voice chat and everything, it would be so fun. And it's also one of those things that's going to make you so pissed off at your friends. <laughs> so kind of like I had mentioned earlier, this is going to be like one continuous rolling into the next recommendation. So when I was watching one of the Among Us streams, I've been watching a lot of the wrestlers specifically from WWE, the ones that Twitch stream. I've been watching them play a lot Among Us because they play with the other wrestlers. Specifically, I've been watching like Tyler Breeze um, on his Sweets channel, Cesaro, Xavier Woods. I also have been watching Dakota Kai because she plays with like Shayna Baszler and all of them and Mia Yim. I've been watching their streams of Among Us because they're just so fun to see them all melt down and yell at each other. But I was watching one specifically where it was Xavier Woods, Adam Cole, and Cesaro were all playing Among Us in the same party. And in that party, they had Ron Funches, the comedian. <laughs> and then they had all these like Broadway actors. And some of them were like pretty big names, it seemed like. I apologize. I didn't look up their names before this, but it was a bunch of Broadway actors. And I, I do remember looking them up while I was watching the stream. And like they all had been in a lot of stuff on TV and even some movie work. So it was like all these celebrities playing this Among Us game. And so I had a blast watching that. And as the game was going on, I was kind of looking people up just to see who they were. And one of the people playing was this woman who goes by uh, Belladonna Cosplay. And I was kind of tweeting at all the people as they were playing the game because they had it all up on their Twitters. And I saw her up on Twitter, so I tweeted at her, like, really enjoying the stream. This is a lot of fun. And she actually responded to me. We uh, we kind of messaged a little bit back and forth, and we learned that we both have podcasts because she saw I was doing this from the Watch If You Dare Twitter. So I winded up checking out some of her stuff, and we actually kind of messaged each other. And, like, I've listened to a bit of her show, and she's listened to us. And I've watched her Twitch stream now, too. So I wanted to shout her out because she's one of two people that make up this group called the Slither Sisters, the House of the Slither Sisters to be exact. And you spell Slither, S-L-Y-T-H-E-R. So House of the Slither Sisters. Um, they do a lot of Twitch streaming. They have a podcast and their podcast name is What Are We Talking About? On Twitter, you can find House of the Slither Sisters at H-S-L-Y-T-H-E-R Sisters. For their podcast, What Are We Talking About? You can find it at the W-A-W-T-A podcast. And the two of them are Dre and Sammy. Sammy is Belladonna Cosplay. Um, you can find her Twitter at Belladonna C-S-P-L-Y. And you can find Dre at Dre, D-R-E-A, but B-U-T-T. -T. And then, of course, they are on Twitch. 
is just House of the Slither Sisters with no spaces, just all one thing. Again, S-L-Y-T-H-E-R is Slither for Slither Sisters. So yeah, they do a lot of horror content. Their podcast is all about conspiracy theory as well as just uh, macabre and horror-related topics. My favorite episode I've listened to so far was actually they did a two-parter even, the first part especially on snakes and lizard people, but they did it kind of as an umbrella. Like They started off talking about like reptilians and reptilians in the government, but then they went in to like the historical aspect of snakes and the representation with gods and stuff through ancient civilizations. Sure. It was yeah. fascinating. And like, they're very easy to listen to because they are having a great time and that comes across the listener as well as being informative. But yeah, check them out. They're very DIY and all their stuff has been fun. I wanted to shout them out specifically because they've been really cool uh, the little bit I've talked to them. Oh, and one final thing. I guess you can count this as a recommendation, but it's just for everyone, our listeners and both Aaron and I. On Apple Music and Spotify, we have our Halloween playlist. It should be linked on Twitter by the time this episode drops. And if you need to search by the name of it, it is W-I-Y-D space fall slash spoopy slash Halloween bash. It is now over 100 songs and probably will still have stuff being added to it throughout the season. Probably so, um, yeah. But we are well over 100 songs. <laughs> and it's some obvious stuff you know stuff like ray parker jr's ghostbusters theme and not so obvious stuff that just we felt fits for creepiness or mood Mood. or like a song about a werewolf or whatever (laughs) we're probably leaning a little bit more in like some doomy metal stuff because aaron and i just love that genre so much but i had grave diggers go into david bowie go into a video game song i only listened to like about 15 songs but it was a good smorgasbord of various genres so yeah check that out all right, awesome. So this week to continue Spooptober and uh, Witchtober, I guess, with our uh, witchcraft movies, we are going to be going way back in time, almost a hundred years back in time. I mean, it was shot a hundred years ago and produced, and yes. then it was released ninety-eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we are going to be discussing Hexen from nineteen twenty-two, a silent movie, which will be kind of fun and different. So yeah. We are going to be discussing that this week, and here is kind of a, I guess... No, yeah, you're not going to be able... We can't really do a state preview, because A, it's not in English, and it's a silent movie, so I guess let's just jump in and get started. (laughs) So, like, we we always bring up, oh, this is a special episode, oh, this is a special movie that we're doing this week, blah, blah, blah. And I joke all the time, they're all special. Yeah, I know, right? They're all my horror children. (laughs) No other movie, I think, that we've done before, and will do in the future is going to be this unique a silent movie this old of a movie i don't see us like ever going back this far in time for a horror movie unless we're in like episode 623 and we're really bottom of the barrel and just the content of this movie because it's sort of a documentary exploration of witchcraft and like how it was back then and how it was modernized to at least 1922 from the swedish danish perspective the english title of this by the way was The Witches, and it also had another English title called Witchcraft Through the Ages, which Witchcraft Through the Ages is probably the most accurate title, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'll kind of get into some of those differences in a little bit as well, too. Yeah, we might do another silent movie, I guess, down the line, but I don't think we're ever going to do a documentary from 1922 that was not, in fact, shot to be a horror movie. It was shot to be, like, a documentary style, but because of the way it's aged and the dramatization 
action horror sequences that are shown in it. There's a kitsch scariness to it. Yeah, it very well stands up as a horror movie now, which is why we decided to choose it. We wanted to go through different things under the pretense of witches. So, you know, we first we started with The Witch. Granted, it was a historical perspective fictional horror movie. This one is like something completely different, way older from... It's not even from another decade. We're not joking when we said that this movie was made 100 years ago. It was fucking made 100 years ago. 1922 is when it came out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know how y'all watched it, but anyone who would like to kind of check it out before they hear us get into it or after we discuss it in this episode you can watch the whole thing on youtube it's all there yeah this movie is in the public domain so you can check it out on youtube the restoration is on there and the restoration adds like 30 more minutes so i i would watch the 105 minute swedish film restoration this is the original cut of the movie yes the witchcraft through the ages version is an edited u.s release so that one had about 30 minutes cut out it actually has narration from Burroughs and there's like a jazz soundtrack to it like it's a wild weird version but yeah I would recommend it's on YouTube it is public domain watch the Swedish restoration if you are interested in checking it out physically Criterion just put it out this past fall on a great Blu-ray did you pick it up yes um, it has an alternate score it's got some good behind the scenes stuff there's a good commentary track on there that version actually has both the cut US release of it and that it was re-edited and the original version with the restoration. So this is a very easily accessible movie. I would hope that everybody checks it out. We will probably discuss this a little bit, but I know I personally, I've seen this movie before, but I wanted to kind of watch it with a twist this time. So one fun thing about silent movies is you can pick your own soundtrack if you so wish, which I know Derek said that he did as well. So <laughs> so what I did, I think I might've been the first one of the three of us to watch it, is I was watching it and like, it has a good sound soundtrack but it is a 1920s silent movie era soundtrack it's just very like mostly just stock classical stuff yeah it's like classical music and like i felt now from a modern perspective that took away from a lot of the feelings of dread and horror and it just didn't match the theme of some of the things that were happening on screen to me which you know back in the day say if you were 1922 watching us maybe those scores actually did fit thematically but from a modern lens it really didn't and it kind of was starting to take away a little bit so about around the 40 minute mark of this film which by the way we're not doing a plot run through just heads up <laughs> you There's just not really a plot yeah yeah yeah, yeah we're just gonna discuss it but about 40 minutes in i turned down the volume completely and, and i turned on electric wizard specifically dope throne <laughs>
And then that ran through the entire album and then started into one of the other Electric Wizard albums. I'm not sure which one it was. Witch Cult Today is also a good one to throw on there. Yeah. Oh boy, did that really help the movie and my viewing experience because it turned into one giant Electric Wizard music video at that point. And it kicked on right when like the documentary itself was really getting into the scenes depicting the Inquisition and then also depicting scenes of Satan actually visiting people. And there was just something going on with having Electric Wizard blasting doom metal into my ears as that was happening on screen that just really fucking clicked. And then I texted you two, this is what I did. And then Aaron, I think the next night you texted me what you listened to. Yeah, I think that this worked really well. I wanted to put on something kind of alternate to that soundtrack just to kind of have some mood. And when I sat down to look through all my stuff, I was trying to think of, okay, what's some like doomier, darker kind of stuff that is basically instrumental and my mind immediately went to Nine Inch Nails' Ghost which is four EPs all stitched together into one giant album it is exactly like an hour and 50 minutes to say we had that as a recommendation on one of our early episodes yeah if you just put that album on start to finish not only does it get the exact length correct but it syncs up surprisingly well (laughs) and i guess just as a disclaimer like i was perfectly sober when i watched it i thought it synced up pretty well now if you set it as a playlist or something like that on your phone or whatever while you're watching it the only caveat i will say is just kick the ninth track out boot the ninth track out and then just let it play as is with the movie it syncs up really well just saying so that's what i would recommend but certainly you can kind of pick whatever you want Unlike me and Aaron, who are the quote-unquote film experts who didn't watch this like it was intended, did you watch it with the soundtrack? I did. I watched it as intended. One thing I was really struggling with with this movie is putting myself in the headspace of the creator of the movie, where I was trying to watch it. And you are right, Derek. You kind of mentioned there's this sort of double whammy with it, where it is Swedish, so there is kind of a, a different culture aspect, but also it's so old. Yeah. I was really thinking like, okay, what is a 1922 person meant to think of this? Because watching it, I was like, me as a 2020 person who makes a lot of PowerPoints, particularly the beginning I was watching, and I was like, I feel like I'm watching a ye old PowerPoint. It really does start that way, <laughs> right? doesn't it? Uh, where they go yeah. through the beginning of like, this is what they thought the universe was like, and it was spheres upon spheres, and there's a little stick that comes on the screen and points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, I can't think of it this way because I'm not appreciating it and so I kept the soundtrack on and you are right that it's pretty stocky the thing that I was really looking for in the soundtrack was what emotion I'm meant to be feeling by these scenes yeah because there were some scenes where I was like is this meant to be comedic there's a whole scene where a witch is trying to get a love potion for her husband and she's imagining the reaction and her husband is eating dinner and then he drinks the potion and is like ooh la la and it's meant to be kind of like a raunchy like sex joke sort of a thing and that I was like okay clearly this is meant to be 
funny and the music reflects that but then i completely lost track of that in the rest of the movie you are right that the soundtrack didn't really change from that point on yeah it was somewhat haunting but i do think from the 2020 lens it would have been a much more haunting and impactful score there would have been a lot more punctuations for certain instances and there would have been a lot more building and breaking down and and building back up that emotional response versus just the sort of stock creepy music yeah yeah i tried to maintain the integrity of the work guys yeah unlike me and aaron yeah (laughs) yeah as youtube presented it well and something that kind of tripped me up too through the movie because it had these moments specifically in like the first 10 or 15 minutes before it really started going to like the reenactments where it did feel like a powerpoint but it had that a few times through the movie here and there and it's interesting because since it was silent it was just all these subtitles coming in and the director himself was the one speaking or putting his thoughts out during those scenes Mm -hmm. when i was studying the malleus maleficarum when i was discussing this with this witch historian when i was talking to the actress portraying the scene i thought that was really interesting because you don't really see that too often even in documentaries these days where the director is literally i mean they are putting a piece themselves into their work especially in documentaries but like you never see them literally talking to the audience like that at some points yeah, where they're it's like, very saying, rare. like mm-hmm. i did this i think that because it wasn't even all like factually based either it was a lot of just what their director's thoughts and feelings were on s- certain subject matters and once again i i do have to say that malleus malficarum if you don't know what i'm talking about it's a 15th century german guide that the inquisitors used and it's literally called the hammer of witches yeah mm-hmm. which is such a metal thing but also fucking horrifying that book is for what it did yeah and on that note the director benjamin christiansen he started off originally pursuing medicine and then he got into opera and acting and eventually kind of got behind the camera because he was just not down to be a performer necessarily that makes so much sense that he like maybe had a brief career education in medicine given that later in the film when he's talking about the mental aspects of modern day like hysteria modern day yeah modern for (laughs) 1922 yeah yeah but yeah like christensen might be like one of the first masters of horror if we really want to kind of think about it that way because looking at like the rest of his filmography he did things like the devil's circus the haunted house seven footprints to satan house of horror he kind of stayed in the genre oh shit so we could do some old ass movies well i have a couple of more silent options in mind that are not necessarily any of those anyway like he he has an interesting background he is a danish filmmaker and he specifically sought funding outside of denmark in order to get creative freedom in general and he ended up getting with a swedish production company that funded it and it was like two million kroner which is 230,000 US dollars today which that's a shit ton of money for then um it's still the most expensive silent movie produced in all of Scandinavia but yeah the film is in and of itself is this interesting blend of documentary a little bit of some dramatization but it's not like a narrative adaptation which is what most silent films were at the time it was just here's an existing work let's adapt that into the silent film you know this specifically is like we mentioned a study about how like religious superstition and ignorance of mental illness and medicine and sexism have all kind of led to rampant paranoia and murder all throughout the history of humankind you know and it talks about how like this is not necessarily just a dark ages thing i mean this has been something that's been present throughout all of human history the idea of like witches and people who are congregating and allying themselves with some kind of deeper evil and 
and how humanity has taken this stance of like we have to stamp that out we have to silence these people regardless of whatever their intentions really truly are at the end of the day and yeah he became obsessed with the topic of witchcraft after finding a copy of the Malleus Maleficarum like you said in a German bookstore and he specifically again wanted to make the film kind of an educational discussion of the topics and take a critical lens to it rather than just turning it into some kind of narrative but I mean for the time the movie was incredibly controversial you know it had very frank depictions of torture and sexuality certainly there's a little bit of very light nudity I mean there's really no nudity necessarily but for 1922 but for 1922 scandalous right yeah and you know the film was edited and banned in a lot of countries including the U.S. I mean I don't think it came out in the U.S. until like seven years later and it was cut I mean it was completely edited and chopped up another thing too just silent films in general you know most of the time when you went and saw a silent movie there was a live orchestra that was actually playing with them and that is something that like you can still see at some theaters today when they're doing repertory screenings and stuff like this and that's always kind of fun to go and be in front of a live music setup another thing as well too Heather was in the room and she like happened to ask me this it's not a black and white film because it is not black and white but a lot of silent movies they use what's called film tinting so the actual film itself is dyed you know it's actually soaked in dye to stain the emulsion of the film and so that way like when it's projected it shows the dye color so the scenes that you're watching in the movie are blue they're like blue tinted like think the most blue instagram filter red yellow you know they're all these different colors and originally that was actually used as like a primitive means of copywriting but then pirates kind of figured out like how to bleach film and get around that and everything else but then it kind of shifted and became more of like a way of setting mood for film so like in this movie specifically you have blue for a lot of these nighttime scenes Mm -hmm. and then you have yellow for these daylight scenes and red for like fireside indoor kind of scenes things like that eventually this process fell out of favor by like the mid to late 20s so not long after this movie came out just because it was time consuming and it also meant that the reels had to be spliced from the get-go in order to dye them properly so already when a distributor is getting the reels they're already weak because they've been stitched back together to have all these individually dyed pieces all put back together and if you're talking about a movie that has to be spun up and projected dozens if not hundreds of times that's going to wear out eventually and it's going to wear out quicker with all those extra splices in there so it kind of fell out of favor and then little by little obviously like full color took over that's why it has kind of the look that it has so it's not necessarily a black and white movie per se but anyway yeah the general mindset too of a lot of people at the time of this film's production was just it shouldn't be made which I find very interesting a lot of historians Christensen kind of sought out to consult on the film were like super not into the idea of turning this into a film because their historical for the greater good kind of opinion was we don't need to dredge up all this dark shit in human history we don't Mm. need to bring all this to light let's just move past that we're modern like let's progress into the future and just forget about all this bad shit and you know most historians nowadays will have the opposite opinion we're like we really need to kind of go back and look at this shit for (laughs) what it is i was gonna say i i think we're kind of in a reaction to that reaction and we're seeing how well it's it's going so 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well, yeah, when we have a uh, Supreme Court appointee who is literally like a fucking Inquisition member right now, you know, that is what it is. But yeah, like, he was getting that side of it from historians. And then from critics, they were also afraid of the idea of, like, this evil that would suddenly come back and, like, cause a stir with these audiences. And kind of like you see now with just movies in general, where a lot of critics are just, like, saying, like, this movie just doesn't need to exist. And <laughs> By the way, son, if you see your mother this weekend, yeah. tell her Satan! <laughs> that, that whole idea of, like, this movie is just an abomination, it doesn't need to exist, and it only exists to, like, stir up controversy and all that. So he was kind of getting it from both sides with people just not wanting this to get made at all. And it's interesting because I don't feel like the movie is exploitative necessarily. Like, it, it feels very much, let's look at all the superstition and bullshit that led to atrocities. And that literally led to, like, people being killed en masse and women further being demonized throughout all of history, you know? like Through the lens of 1922, it probably was very ex- exploitation. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. To, yeah. Them, so. to them, it was, certainly. Yeah, the weird thing to me, I mean, you mentioned how controversial there is nudity and, and these sort of torture that is certainly kind of a questionable to show on screen. What I was really surprised by were how many sort of negative portrayals of religion. Yeah. I mean, there were two scenes in particular that stood out where, aside from the portraying the church and the Inquisition as the villains, which appropriate, I would say, there was a scene where they're in their whole night demon rave and they throw a cross on the ground and the women take turns stomping on it. Yeah. I'm surprised that made it in. And even a scene at the very end where a nun actually takes baby Jesus, I think, from a statue of Virgin Mary and picks it up off the statue on this sort of altar piece in a church. And that scene, I caught myself kind of looking around to be like, is is this okay? That struck me as being very strange. That stuff that was edited out of certain cuts of the movie for certain countries. Like those scenes in particular, those more extreme instances were excised from the movie. And I mean, so far we're like, they didn't even film certain scenes inside of churches because yeah. a lot of the crew was just like, oh, we don't know about doing all this. Like, we, <laughs> none of us were like superstitious per se, but we don't want to get in trouble. You right, know, like yeah. actual legal trouble from filming in here, you know? Even from a like modern perspective, something these scenes were pretty yeah. intense for being 100 years old. Yeah. Up top, here's my spiel. I know I probably should have done this a little earlier, but it's a horrific movie, but not in the way of horror movies that you typically would think, like jump scares and stuff like that. It's a movie that everyone could watch. I understand if it's not for everybody. You do need to devote that hour 40 minutes to it. It's dated. I, I get it. Shit, me and Aaron bastardized our views with, with modern music. Shameful. Shameful. Lord's shaking her head at us. Yeah. <laughs> If you're worried about being jump scare or anything, you won't be. But surprisingly, there is a lot of haunting imagery, even a little bit of disturbing imagery. If we're going to talk about like fears and phobias uh, on display in this movie, the major one is sexism historically and fear of women becoming literal witch hunts. And then just, I mean, yeah, you have satanic imagery and all this and that, which some of it is kind of goofy and some of it actually the very first scene where the devil pops up at the priest who's kind of writing something or reading through a book is, is pretty haunting, if not a little goofy, but it is haunting. 
the scenes that really were disturbing in this movie, and this is a probably even a trigger warning, I would say, is there is are some torture scenes that are reenacted, and they are pretty disturbing, even if some of the stuff is more implied rather than shown. Like when they show that older actress playing an older woman hag type character, and she's basically being tortured and shouted by all these men surrounding her, and she's like stripped, and it's this old woman who is obviously like having some dementia or something, like she's crying. And not just that, but she she's unable in any way to like defend herself or fight back. yeah like if yeah. you have any fucking empathy at all when you see a helpless old woman who is unable to fend for herself yeah that's kind of like fuck with anybody who has like the least bit of heart yeah on the flip side you have the younger prettier woman that happens later on in the movie because one brother was having like impure thoughts about her because he's obviously like a teenager young adult inquisitor in training and then they do the same thing to her and like get her to rat out all her friends basically under the stress of like this horrific torture and like the same thing happens there like they trick her like into saying like if you just confess things will be good for you but then like at the end they're like no you're gonna get burned at the stake and like seeing her being tortured and her like in tears and everything is also pretty tough to watch even now even with this being so dated and then like the other big horrific thing to me was when Benjamin Christensen is going through the tools that the Inquisitors would use and actually showing them and even on some of the actresses like having them put them on like the finger trap one Mm -hmm. and showing like how it works all of that is pretty rough he specifically couched that one as one of our actresses just for shits wanted to try it out and just see how she felt about it and everything else and he was like yeah we put it on and like literally 30 seconds later we were just getting like anything we wanted out of her so yeah you can imagine what somebody who was actually being tortured with that for real would say or do just to get out of that torture yeah Yeah. you know when they depicted both women during and after the process of their inquisitions they really didn't pull any punches with how they were presenting them both women they had cut their hair in this way that had like shredded it where you could kind of tell it was meant to show that the inquisitors cut off their hair they were dressed in rags the young woman who was very young very healthy going in was like kind of hunched over was limping like was contorted in this kind of way and in this way that really showed how like dehumanizing this process was and it did just strike me that the cutting hair in particular was really just this way of just dehumanization of these women yeah that is the perfect example of the true horror of this it isn't the devil and the demonic activity that's seen it's us it's us and it's people yeah it's sexism turning into literal witch hunts turning into dehumanizing people yeah who is it last podcast i think jokes that witch hunts were just ways to get rid of the pretty cool women who just like to dance and sing but that, that's them just joking but like they are also sort of having a point of just anyone who is kind of out of the norm but was a woman kind of a little bit out of the norm and they do bring up in this episode that like yes men were burned at the stake and children burned at the stake too but they do focus on women like they were basically hunted and really it was all just under pretense it was very rarely an actual witch hunt well so on that note christensen kind of breaks down the idea of the witch into essentially four types like four categories of witch and this is from kind of a short behind the scenes thing that he did years later all said and done i'm kind of curious because it was 1941 and i'm trying to think like hmm, where was denmark during world war ii at this time when he was doing this interview but <laughs> 
Anyway, he breaks it down as there are four types, and the film kind of goes into those four. So you have the professional witch, which that is specifically a woman who has some kind of knowledge, like a practical knowledge of medicine and herbalism. Mm -hmm. That is kind of your traditional shaman, witch doctor, medicine man kind of archetype that's always been with every society all around the world throughout the start of humankind. Like there's that one person who just through observation and clever experimentation and you know all these things like finds these natural remedies and kind of acts as that go-to for a specific group of people and some cultures embrace that and that person is very well regarded in their community and then some people around the world depending on the culture and like kind of what the religious atmosphere looks like that person is definitely the outsider and often they have to be kind of operating underground and in this movie specifically you see like the old main professional witch named Varna or Karna rather and then her assistant comes but she is wrapped up head to toe has like a scarf covering her face because she was literally disguised going from her house to this woman's house so that she wasn't caught by somebody because going there and being seen okay now you're outed and you're helping this old woman and blah 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 and you're part of this witchcraft so there is the professional witch then there is is just poor like literally poor old woman often sick often deformed usually with a humpback or a missing eye or teeth or just something like that right just something that like definitively sets them apart from the rest of the community they're usually a beggar usually just somebody that the town wants to fucking do away with and just kind of like okay get that person out of here we don't want to see this like homeless beggar lady with one leg is that where like the trope of the old hag spawned out of you think i mean kind of like the old hag trope kind of works into all of these types to a degree or another but this woman is specifically just a poor soul who is usually homeless and begging that the town just kind of wants to get out you know what i mean the third category is what he kind of described and again this is 1922 speak here but the third type that he described was the hysterical woman which you know we don't use that word anymore but essentially like in modern parlance it's just women who are suffering from a debilitating mental illness you know manic depression things like that so you know there's that category of we don't understand what mental illness is or how to deal with it just it must be demons right like it must just be the devil (laughs) and uh you know she's a witch men men are allowed to feel sad women have hysteria (laughs) yeah yeah well and it is it's i don't even think it's mental illness as we would call it now it's somewhere between like real mental illness versus behavior we just don't like yes yes correct yes it's women who are uppity in quotation marks i'd like to point out like i said with the witch those centuries like 15th through the 17th century seemed like they really sucked to live in especially (laughs) if you were a woman holy fuck uh yeah seemed like they were really shitty So I know I'm going off topic here for one second, but something I did find interesting when he was going through like the definition of witches and what they do. And this is something that we saw in The Witch, actually. Having ointments be like your power, your spell, and like rubbing ointments on your body to be able to fly because that is exactly what happens at the beginning of The Witch. And it just goes to show that Egger, it shows that he did his research for a lot of like the historical views of what witches were like because a lot of the stuff that The Witch does in that movie 
showed up in this in describing like the myth behind witches. At another point, it might be one of the variations of the love potion she makes, but she makes a potion using the blood of an unchristened infant or like an unbaptized infant. I forget what part that was at. In this movie, the love potion was made out of cat feces and dove hearts. Yep. <laughs> what was the ointment or potion later on that used the unchristened baby blood? So I don't know if it was baby blood. There was a scene when they're kind of in their sort of frenzy, rave, orgy, what have you with the demons in the kind of blue tinted scene where I think it is Karna that does it actually has her very shallow, I will say, cauldron uh, and puts an entire baby in it. Yeah. yeah. And and yeah. I was looking and I was like, I'm happy that is clearly a fake baby because that <laughs> yeah. that's an image. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Two for two on baby murder in our witches episodes, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. And another interesting thing, too, was when he was describing ointments and stuff towards the beginning was how a witch had either familiars or followers or even just people they bewitched to go dig up bodies for them to use in spells and potions and stuff. I found that whole yeah. aspect fascinating. That's something I don't normally see when it comes to witches. Like, I think that's usually kind of overlooked the idea of grave robbing and using bodies for certain things. Yeah. I like to the woman that brings the thief's corpse in and pops the finger off and it's just like, eh, it's maybe a little bit too old. This was maybe a little overripe. Hold on. <laughs> let's just go and like soak it in this wine jug to get it back up and going again. Just those little nuances like Heather and I joke about this all the time with food stuff. Who is the first person that was like, these shells are full of snot. Should we eat it? <laughs> You eat, eat one, eat one. What do you think? It's fine. It's pretty good. It's kind of briny. And then the next day, like throwing up diarrhea, just pretty good. All right, let's go again. And that's how we have oysters, right? Like, so who was the first person to figure that out? Like if we take the finger bone of a dead thief, we can mix that up with whatever. And then boom, now you'll be able to get a boner again, or your hair will grow again, <laughs> or this guy will fall in love with you. Like yeah. who figured that stuff out first? Like who was the one person who like experimented with all of that from the beginning? Yeah, some of that stuff is fun. Right, and I would bet that the person that figured that out is different from the person that tested it. Like, you know there was <laughs> someone that figured so. it yeah. out and then was like, yeah, like, hey, Trevor, put this in your mouth. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, there was actually, when they were holding the hand, I was like, okay, I'm with you, I'm with you. And then when they popped that finger off, I will say, it's within the first, like, <laughs> 10 minutes of the movie. And I was just like, okay, we are just on this roller coaster now. <laughs> so the fourth and final group that Christensen brings up in the film, and this by far is, like, the largest group that falls into these categories, is just simply, like, the accused. So just the people who were, like, regular, everyday people living their fucking lives, and all all of a sudden they get home one day and the doors kicked down and it's the town constable authorities whatever and they're drug off to prison and put in the stocks and like oh so and so said you're a witch that's pretty fucked up right <laughs> You're a witch, right? And and that's it. It's, there's no, like, jury involved. There's no modern idea of, you know, innocent until proven guilty. It's just clearly you're a witch. If somebody, anybody, even somebody that you're enemies with in real life that has it out for you says you're a witch, guess what? You're just a fucking witch. Yeah, like, how many people were burned at the stake just simply because someone was pissed at them and was oh, like... Oh, thousands. Yeah. Thousands, like, easily. I actually did have a question about that because I took some notes, even though they are about a mess to go through and read. Eight million. <laughs> At one point, he says 8 million people have been killed for witchcraft, and that does seem a little high. I think there was a citation needed on that number. I would be willing to bet worldwide beginning of history to now, if we're just going to put a number on it. Or to 1922. <laughs> 8 million isn't 
crazy, I wouldn't say. If we're considering like all world cultures, dot, dot, dot. I agree with you that 8 million people during the European Dark Ages specifically, that's wild. That's overblown. Like there weren't 8 million people in Europe at that time, let alone like 8 million people who like just happened to get killed because they were like quote unquote witches. So there's no way. I do agree that like with you, Lauren, that there need to be a citation on that number or just even simply saying that, Aaron, like of people burned or killed for being witches throughout all of recorded human history, here's the number. Then that would have made more sense. Something I am curious about and I couldn't find it, but when the movie did first come out, the director had a giant pamphlet that was included with your ticket in your seat whenever you went and saw the movie that was all of his citations. And obviously that's lost to the sands of time at this point. I couldn't find any like trace of that on the internet just because I was curious to see like what happened to be in it all said and done because there were apparently like a number of sources that he had but he literally used to include here's my work you know here you go like this is where I got everything from here's my citations um it just wasn't in the movie necessarily yeah and I would bet that he did get that number from somewhere because he cites constantly he says this doctor from France this doctor from Germany you know these people so I bet he got it from somewhere I just kind of wanted I think you're right that it's probably correct but I did just sort of okay uh hang on eight million so that is interesting about the pamphlet though i wonder if you're probably right it's just lost to time though yeah i couldn't find any record of it online like no photos no like scans of the surviving one or anything like that Mm. so on this note let's kind of talk about some of the segments of the movie so the movie is broken into like four distinct chunks i would say it's a seven real movie and it's technically seven parts but really the movie is four major focuses so the first part is detailing the ancient understanding of how the solar system and earth and their conception of heaven hell etc was all kind of completely real and tangible and you know the fact that they believe that there were literal demons and the devil but the segment is kind of breaking down people's understandings of these concepts and how they thought that these were literal physical things and how they believe that all worked together and it's all illustrated by using drawings and woodblock carvings from history and things like that (laughs) and a pointer to just end here (laughs) yeah he's got like a little pointer that comes on screen like you could see the devil right here or like cool we saw the devil (laughs) but there's like some interesting notions in this segment you know flat earth bullshit today jesus christ now right but i love how like the old notions of how the earth and the planets functioned is kind of all extrapolated right was kind of fucking cool right yeah, yeah right yeah, like after we definitively cool. learned that the earth was not flat but the ideas of how the earth functioned were even wilder to me than the idea of the earth being Man, flat between your flat earth insults here and and then earlier with the supreme court pick comment we're gonna get one star i don't give out. a fuck <laughs> yeah we don't give i a don't shit. give a fuck <laughs> don't listen to us anyway yeah i like the idea of the earth is a sphere there is a sphere around that sphere that is air and then there's a sphere around that that is fire (laughs) 
right? And then the sun and the moon revolve around that, and the planets all kind of revolve around that, and their little hanging spheres all revolving around the Earth. You know, this is, again, the, like, terracentric model or whatever it was called. And then the idea of hell literally being the inside of the Earth and heaven being, like, the tenth sphere outside of all that. Yeah, the outer sphere where the seven seraphim, like, are in concert with God. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea of the Earth is essentially just a giant ringed with mountains bowl sphere where the sky is literally just built on iron pillars and the stars hang from that like a ceiling. Wild shit. That's all the stuff that I find pretty interesting to go back and look at now. The way that the movie explains it and illustrates it I think is really interesting, but the whole first part is setting the basis of this is how basic and primitive people's understandings of the literal world they lived in was at the time and the fact that they truly genuinely believe that hell heaven demons god was all a physical part of that and not necessarily even a conceptual idea like they literally believed there were devils under the ground if you dug deep enough all that stuff to me is pretty interesting but it's setting the idea of here's where people's understanding was and the fact that to them these concepts were tangible yeah so before we like kind of move to that second part thoughts observations anything else you want to kind of add to that little first bit so yeah i agree i think actually one thing i like about this movie and i think it's something you kind of have to pull from it if you're going to appreciate it is how visually very interesting it is and i think especially in this first section he moves a lot between like medieval wood carvings and medieval diagrams to a sort of you know 1922 staged version yeah and as you go through the movie it becomes the 1922 reenactments and staged versions but you know you mentioned the where earth is kind of between two mountains and the stars hang from the sky and the image that was on that section was just a beautiful and kind of arresting image to me so i did think uh this was all pretty interesting and kind of familiar i think i vaguely remember learning about sort of old-timey views of of the universe but i do like that he presented this as to show kind of where the mindset was but it was also just visually very interesting to look at yeah yeah and y'all i don't really have too much to add to what y'all said but something that i thought about that was pretty entertaining to me was how and it might be more of a testament to this show rather than this movie but um what we do in the shadows the fx show uses a lot of the same like ancient medieval paintings um and drawings of demons and stuff in a lot of their scenes when they're talking about vampire orgies and and this and that so I, i do find that pretty funny but it is interesting to see these paintings show up in multiple places like what we do in the shadows but then here from this 1922 documentary you know a lot of these paintings are even ones that i just remember seeing because hey i went to a catholic elementary middle and high school growing up <laughs> yeah and like this shit was kind of all over the place this shit was tangible to you yeah yeah and and we weren't even that serious about it if i'm being honest because it was yeah. new orleans catholicism <laughs> on kind of a crass note i guess while we're there i love that like benjamin christensen the writer director he plays the devil he is satan throughout this movie anytime you see like the devil it's him oh i just love the idea of satan having a dad bod that's pretty great (laughs) the other thing too 
I just love like all the flecking tongues. You know, they're supposed to have yeah. like this like <laughs> <flipped> <laughs> tongues that are just like, you know, but it's always just these dudes going like that to me is fucking hilarious. That and like all the demons that are like churning butter. So But it looks like they're masturbating. You know, you can probably have <laughs> yeah. an idea of the visuals there. Yeah, just like just off in the corner, like with their shake weights. I was trying to figure that out as well, not to cut you off, but that's clearly meant to be a masturbation joke, right? And that's one where I was like I think so. For the 20s, right? does that make sense? Where is that a Swedish joke, maybe? I was struggling with that because it happens twice. It might be all of the above. Yeah. yeah. It happens a few times. It might be all of the above, but I definitely yeah. think it's supposed to be kind of like a wink wink nod nod. Look at these like naughty devils. But it does just crack me up every time you see this like dad bod dude made up as the devil churning butter as quick as he can, just la 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 tongue out. Like that's some funny shit to me. <laughs> I could just imagine him catcalling the women that are like going towards him with that fucking tongue out. It really is like the most fucking goofy, tenacious D bullshit. Yeah. Like it's you just imagine like Jack Black as the devil. Like that's exactly what we're talking about. Aww. Like the reveals and stuff. Some of it is kind of haunting, but then like it just turns into like you had those moments. Yeah, yeah, tenacious D Satan at the end. But like yeah, the churning of the butter in like that masturbatory way, and then like witches having to kiss Satan's ass. Like yeah. as part of like that dark <laughs> ritual, which that was left out of the witch uh, Eggers. Yeah, <laughs> um, that all was like historical, well, not historical fact in the way that it was real, but that's what the Inquisition actually believed in. The church actually believed in like these black sacrament sort of rituals. Yeah, we talked about on the witch last episode how the image of a pole or like a, a stick that became the broomstick that they ride on has always been associated with witches, and so that's what I thought of when I saw those demons doing that. Is like there's the symbolism of that because it, it very much almost looked like a broom handle in a lot of those scenes. Well, like we also talked about too, brooms in pagan culture are very much a like marriage male female fertility kind of thing because it is a male phallic item and then a female pubic hair kind of thing like both of those ideas put together into like this one symbolic object that's kind of where a lot of that stuff comes from but the butter churning is certainly another one that's brought up with this kind of topic but overall like yeah I mean there's definitely a lot of that stuff that the movie doesn't necessarily bend over to like explain to you per se um it's just kind of part of the atmosphere one more scene that that made me literally laugh out loud was when uh i don't know if it was in the second or third part when it was people claiming they actually saw the devil and interacted with him and he tempted them and he was going into the idea of the devil visiting a young married woman as her husband is asleep and like when he pops open in the fucking window <laughs> and was just like banging hey like, you the, uh, hey, hey come check hey, it come out come on girl <laughs> come on girl hey 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 girl you want some of this dad bod hey come here <laughs> It's very much, it's like, that energy. Right? It reminded me of like the neighbor in a sitcom. Yeah. Where you just like pop into the window and like the audience like cheers. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Satan. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. So yeah, on that note, the second part goes into discussing the general connection then between religion and the devil with the idea of witches, right? And we kind of see how like the devil, who is this physical manifestation thing, manipulates women into doing his bidding and becoming these ardent followers right we see how even like innocent intent such as like love potions are still derived from like this evil influence right and then therefore like that's still spreading the evil and the whole idea of like this woman bewitching a member of the clergy like she specifically says like i want a love potion strong enough to 
like woo a monk and that's her whole thing is like i want to like here's some cat feces seduce this guy yeah i want to like seduce this guy you know and therefore like bring downfall to this man and religion and blah 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 right like it's just that whole idea of how the weird old school understanding of how the literal world works and religion then bleeds over into how we believe it interacts with us and people you know we're even shown like we said how witches worship the devil and how their ceremonies work and all these things that they do this is where we learn about the witch's balm that allows them to fly and seeing the sabbath and all these other like things that go on we i love the detail of like women would often turn into cats you know in their witch life and they would get animal familiars to stand guard while they went and soiled the altar of churches and you just see these women dressed up as cats and they're like sneaking out of a church while these like weird i don't elk ram goat Demons, people are yeah. like outside yeah just goofy stuff like that again like some of this imagery like could be goofy but again if you were like maybe high or listening to an album while you're watching this good atmosphere it fit fucking well because <laughs> i was again watching this is right around where i kicked on electric wizard and seeing like these fucking weird demons that are obviously like fake costumes but it's all kind of in that old style before color grainy yeah. film and just seeing them do all this all these weird shit and you don't have any context beyond like the subtitles really added for like a nice doom metal music video um the scene that fucking still impressed me to this day was the one with the coins and like the coins kind of like spreading out on the floor yeah. and like oh, moving right. around to entice that person to follow that's just a lot of fun like stop motion shit and reverse photography and things like that like yeah. i could literally do that with my phone right now you yeah know, that level of filmmaking it's it's just fun little trickery but then that turned into that opening up and that demon kind of starting to poke through that was actually a little scary this whole montage ranges from goofy to like esoteric mind fuckery yeah and a lot of the datedness of this actually adds to the mind fuckery behind some of these scenes well i think what they do such a good job with and what i really loved is that all of the like live action attempts or live action scenes specifically relating to the demons did seem like they were trying to bring to life the wood carvings yeah especially yeah. the the ones he has of hell where he points out here's the demon with his little pointer here's the demon like putting logs on the fire under the cauldron and that kind of stuff and that's what i really pulled from the live action scenes with the demons is you're right they were very off-putting and creepy and i am beginning to realize how little i like this idea of a human body with an animal head that just inherently <laughs> yeah i don't like that <laughs> i don't know what it is in me that reacts to that but i'm not a fan yeah but that's what i did really like about it is all of those live action scenes were just attempts at bringing those wood carvings to life and and almost like a, a bosch painting or something and so that i thought was really really well done with those demon depictions fuck that's a good point lauren because i didn't even think about the way the demons were depicted were actually just mirroring mm -hmm. those goofy paintings which we think are goofy now in the modern era but yeah even back then in 1922 when your only point of reference for demons are these old medieval paintings like that could be fucking scary i mean even looking at them seriously like there are aspects where you're like okay that looks really dumb and goofy but there's also stuff where you're like okay that's you know someone being tortured and that's clearly you know a body in pain and being contorted and and so it is that kind of interesting balance of like haha this is goofy but also it's kind of uh insidious and sinister in that sort of way well and another thing too that i thought of as i was watching this especially with these scenes with the demons especially but even throughout this movie was if you're familiar with christian religions especially in the south specifically evangelical and baptist 
one of these things that a lot of these churches do, especially the ones that are extremely strict, they do like judgment plays or like plays yeah. where they depict people going to hell and what hell is actually like as a, almost even like a scare tactic. Or really extreme passion plays during Easter as well, too. Passion plays, yep. Or even hell houses, which are like their version of a haunted house. A yeah. haunted house, quote unquote, for fun. But it turns out like, no, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't accept God in your life. And they show like the reenact hell, basically. And it is kind of like this weird fucked up brainwashing technique that they use, especially on younger kids to basically scare them into faith. I've never been one to one specifically because even like at least Catholics in New Orleans didn't go this far ever. I'd only learned about them and seen like pictures and certain aspects of them. But a lot of these reenactments, especially the more demonic ones in this were reminding me of that, of like what that is like, Um, which granted the scary part is those like hell houses and passion plays and judgment plays are probably way scarier than even this movie is with how bad they do it from a production standpoint yeah one thing that heather did remark about she kind of was in the room passively watching with me when i was watching it one thing she remarked about was just wow this is really lavish for a silent film i've never seen a silent film i have no conception of what a silent film should look like i didn't realize that they were this elaborate right i did passively mention like oh yeah like wait till i show you some shit like metropolis or Mm -hmm. their golem like greed sunrise like we can certainly watch some big lavish silent movies one of the super fucking cool things in this one that is like a really big technical achievement for the time is the scene where you see all the flying witches going around the city right that scene is still super technically impressive so they did some test footage where they were literally mounting the camera to a train driving past the city but what they kind of realized was well there's too many modern buildings there's electrical poles that we just can't get out there's no way to get around that stuff so what they did was they literally built a giant turntable with a miniature city built around that with the buildings like all being six foot high and the turntable literally required 20 people to set it in motion and get it spinning but it's kind of that zoetrope effect where they sit the camera in front of it and just spin this turntable to make it look like there's a city passing by you they then filmed 70 individual witches against a black backdrop with kind of the illusion of flying created by literally blasting an airplane engine toward them (laughs) and then they literally invented a special optical printer that would like superimpose both of these things on top of each other so that was a pretty huge technical achievement for the time and that's essentially how a lot of special effects worked for the longest time was just the idea of compositing two separate things on top of each other into one image or rear film photography and just stuff like that. So I mean, it was a very interesting technical thing at the time, but it does make the movie look very complex and impressive for a movie that's like literally a hundred years old at this point. Mm -hmm. That's kind of one thing I'll say too, is, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, they're going to write off silent movies, but go fucking watch Metropolis and come back and let's talk. Cause that movie is wild, wild with some of like the huge sets and special effects and just things that you would struggle to get away with now. But this movie certainly don't think of it as like a simple, primitive kind of movie. I mean, this was a very technically complex movie at the time. Okay, so let's go ahead and roll into the third segment. Now that we have an understanding again of like the idea of how religion functioned and what people's relationship to that was and how there is a literal devil influencing actual people, right? The third part paints this complete picture of how 
how we literally go from an innocent old woman, the people just don't want her to be around, and or they think, oh, well, we can just scapegoat her as the reason why this guy is sick, and we can just go ahead and get her out of the picture, because she's this gross old lady that we don't want around. They accuse her of being a witch. She kind of goes through the whole torture and inquisition and confession process, because again, there's no, like, innocent before proving guilty, just she's a witch, done. Also, too, like, this would be a trigger warning aspect for sure. This is probably, in my opinion, the most horrific shit you're gonna see in this movie. Well, because now you're taking a lot of the, like, still images and concepts that we've seen in the first part, and they're actually dramatizing it. Like, you see this woman going in front of this panel of Inquisitors, and she's confessing, and she's telling about how, like, yeah, this is how witchcraft works, and this is what I was doing, and we went to the Sabbath, and we literally kissed the devil's ass, and blah, 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 and oh, by the way, I wasn't the only person. Also, these two women who were the ones that accused me originally at this rich person's house, they're also witches, by the way. Go round them up. (laughs) And so you kind of see this chain reaction of this woman who was wrongly accused now kind of getting revenge on these other women and how that then kind of turns into this giant chain of, well, this other person's also a witch and, you know, you need to go get her too. And it's just kind of this long chain of lies and torture and revenge and manipulation and sexism just kind of all rolled into the entire downfall of this fucking family hey y'all the Inquisition sucked. Yeah. <laughs> they fucking sucked. Yeah. But you definitely see like this front to back picture of how it worked and how monks, the clergy that were in power and were the ultimate word at the end of the line of all this were very much abusing their position to power. Like you mentioned earlier, we see them literally say like, just confess, just confess, just tell us everything and we'll let you go. We'll open the doors. You can go out. You can get your child. We'll let you out of the city. You can get out of here. And then as soon as she's like yeah i'm totally a witch okay cool let me go now they're like oh no sorry you just said you're a witch bro so like you know we're gonna set you on a fire and that's that sorry well and both of y'all like brought this up earlier i think specifically you lauren about how take away all the stuff with the director and like the documentary stuff if you just showed the reenactments this movie doesn't hold any punches to show that really the primary antagonists more so than satan and the demons are the inquisitors yeah granted because it's silent film and it's an older movie like it's more exaggerated and maybe not as nuanced as the more the puritan aspects of the witch from 2015 but it's basically the same shit of like every little thing is like this massive punishment that turns into like punishment and being put to death like sins of lust turning into these offenses that meaning you are going to be put to death and burned at the stake but it is amazing to me that this movie as old as it was took that stance of like no the inquisitors are fucking maybe worse demons than the actual demons are Yeah, I do like with these scenes in particular that it is clearly documentary style. He is just trying to recount what happened. But he also, the director does kind of take this clear tone that yes, what they are doing is bad and this is bad. Because there was one scene early before the massive torture kind of gets started where the narration said, two honorable men try amiably to get her to confess. And then the scene it cuts to is this one guy kind of smiling and chatting. And then literally the woman is ripped out of front 
frame by the second guy who is physically shaking her and like screaming in her face and of course you can't hear it but you can see it and then the other guy kind of pulls her back and he's friendly and he's chatting and then she gets ripped out of frame like it's very good cop bad cop the way that they're approaching it trying to get a confession out of her. exactly yeah. but it, it was interesting to me just and granted it was translated from swedish but the two honorable men try amiably and then they show him like physically like throwing this woman around yeah that whole idea too of just again like guilty period there is no innocent before being proven like just you were you were guilty if anybody said you're a witch guess what you are you're a witch we kind of discussed that a little bit on our last episode with the witch and just the idea of like being able to take the thing that people are throwing back at you and trying to use as a weapon against you and you taking that and owning that and repositioning it as a place of power that you can then kind of use to accelerate yourself into this is what my identity is going to be and I'm going to fucking own it and you know if you want to make me into that cool guess what I am now done but the witch is kind of the fantasy empowering version of what we wish we could do with that idea the sad reality is what this movie positions which is nobody was able to own it nobody was able to like find it as a method to like gain power and identity and freedom it was very much a death sentence period at the end of the day if you were accused of witchcraft there was no coming back from that they talked about the witch would float if they were like tied to a stone and thrown in the river but the innocent would literally sink and drown and they're like oh they were innocent god forgave them but they still fucking drowned in the river yeah even the innocent were killed off yeah if you sank guess what you were innocent but whatever you're dead anyway but like you're in god's hands now so it's okay but if you floated you're a witch and we're just gonna pull you out and fucking burn you so like again there's no getting around it and so much of it was just people being petty and shitty and demonizing each other and so much of it was just superstition and sexism kind of put together and again we're gonna take out all the sexy groovy ladies because we don't want them to be that way they're out of their station they're improper whatever and we the pious men don't want that it's just like all of that bullshit kind of all rolled up into this one giant death burrito basically the three of us would have been fucked yeah <laughs> so the third part of the movie is by far the largest part as it's going through the entirety of this top to bottom story this is how the process looked like this this is how people were accused. This is how they were questioned. We see the instruments. Yeah, this is like the torture stuff. So it's just kind of all of that. The fourth part then kind of moves into like how many of these superstitions were simply just misunderstandings of mental illness and not even mental illness but just some physiological disorders too like somnambulism and kleptomania and pyromania and just simple physical illnesses and deformities the scene i wanted to bring up i don't know if it's the same as yours aaron is the scene where it basically describes what night terrors are as we understand yeah. now where mm -hmm. the man visiting you in your sleep and since this is a 1922 movie the way they describe it is back then because you were always surrounded by all this evangelical imagery it could very well be mistaken like you would see the devil visiting you in your sleep but what the movie proposes like oh what well, now it would be your favorite movie star or broadway star coming in dressed in black in your window and wake in like you have trouble waking up but you see them and hallucinate them but it is fascinating to me that even this movie way back when was describing what 
basically is a night terror. Before we had a word for it. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. looking back on it now, after we even covered the nightmare, that whole idea of the devil visiting your sleep has always been associated with night terrors, and like it's just interesting to see that juxtaposition of today with that from 1922, also still disputing all the beliefs and superstitions of that era. Yeah. The other thing, too, this fourth part kind of looks at how like modern medical examples are compared, and we actually have some contemporary scenes where we see a woman being forced by her mother, by her husband, to go see a doctor about her hysteria, in air quotes, right? And the movie kind of just leaves you with a warning that like, hey, guess what? These things, all this fear, all this paranoia, all this religious stuff, it didn't just disappear in the Dark Ages. You know, we are still perpetuating a lot of these same misbegotten cause-effect situations now, you know, and women are still having to put up with a lot of this now. The difference is just you're not in trouble with the church is kind of the specific thing he says is you're not in trouble with the church. You're now in trouble with the police. You're no longer like brought in front of an Inquisition panel. You literally have to go to see a jury because you are not physically fit to like live by yourself and we need to commit you because you're hysterical and air quotes like that kind of thing. It's very much all the same underpinning things. They are just happening in a modern context, and they are happening now with this modern medical label put on them, but the misogyny and the paranoia and all the underpinning things are still there. You know, they haven't gone away in the modern context. That's interesting. So I don't know that I gave him quite as charitable a read as that. So I think if I'm understanding you correctly, it's like what he is trying to say is that what we called witchcraft back in the day is now what we call hysteria, but it's the same thing and it's as bad. That's at least how I read it, which was just kind of a warning of, you know, no, 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 don't rest easy and think that this is all behind us. This is still all stuff that is here and present in our modern, medical, enlightened society. We just call it this now. Okay, that's interesting because I did get the sense of we call this hysteria now, but I didn't get the sense that it was saying like all of these negative practices still exist and they're still negative and still for all these reasons what i read him as doing was saying we thought this was witchcraft but now in our enlightened time we know what hysteria is and so what they thought was hysteria was actually just superstition and so i think i actually read him in a slightly less charitable and more negative light as saying that now we do have this sort of positive medical label and now we sort of know how to appropriately treat it and handle it but now i'm wondering if you might be correct and it might be me hearing it with maybe my modern ears on a little bit that that's how I would like the movie to be presented and maybe like I am the one misinterpreting that. I think where I came to my conclusion on that is just how he was approaching the rest of the movie and looking at it from a like modern like isn't this ridiculous that we once believed this standpoint and so you know maybe you are a thousand percent correct and that I was maybe like giving him a easier time. Well and I think I'm a little more in the middle of both y'all because I think I agree with both y'all and if I had to say I kind of lean a little more with Lauren that it kind of came off just like patting our own backs because now we're enlightened and we know what to look out for but I did get a little bit of the oh but you have to understand if this person is acting this way take them to the doctor instead of this or like maybe it's just this happening and they aren't necessarily a criminal and more it's this mental medical problem that we now have a better understanding of. Also too I mean it's hard not to like also 
roll your eyes a little bit at even the datedness of this movie of just like hysteria is very much a now sexist a thousand percent not a term we use anymore yeah yeah i do think he brought up positive points of just yes the inquisition was horrible the treatment of women and and other people who were just given that catch-all term of witch and killed was horrible but then at the same time it almost had this air by the end of oh but we won't make those mistakes again because we know now what we're dealing with is kind of what i got from it yeah and i do think that he was trying to be respectful of mental illness from his tone talking about hysteria and especially the scene where you know so kind of what happens in this is there's this sort of young girl and she steals a ring but does it really badly and of course immediately gets caught (laughs) that was kind of a ridiculous dramatization it was was very over the top but she's talking to the store clerk and she goes on this long thing about how she lost her husband during the war she's been depressed ever since she lost her husband she's experiencing all these symptoms and he like shows pity on her and the sense i got from that was kind of that sense of like okay now we know what this is and it's hysteria and it's serious and we should treat these people with compassion and not burn the witch or like throw her in the sanatorium I think is is what he says in a very dated term there as well but I didn't really get the sense that there was that sort of judgment passed on the concept of hysteria because one thought I had was that I, I do think there is sort of this tone throughout of you know look at these things they believed this is quite Uh, I do think he's respectful of the beliefs in a kind of strange way where he's sort of presenting them as is without mocking them directly at first. But he does say, look what they believed and look how enlightened we are now talking about hysteria. Whereas for now we're saying, look what they believed about hysteria. Look what we know now. So yeah, I just, I didn't quite read him as... uh, You didn't give him that charitable of of a listen. Yeah. Maybe that's it. I do think there's definitely room for interpretation there. So in some way we're probably both right. Same topic as far as the final conclusion, just the other angles of it. I do like how he specifically kind of says, again, like the idea of we think we're modern, we think we've escaped all this, but let's be real, does religious superstition still not exist now and he shows these women who are still like doing card readings and looking at crystal balls and that kind of Mm -hmm. thing you know and it's like we don't treat them the same way that these women were treated then but the superstition is still there we we used to literally burn old women who were poor and homeless and beggars we don't burn them now but do we treat them any better by still like letting them just be homeless and destitute and not helping them anything else you know the idea of you know, again, going back to the hysterical woman, you know, we don't, we, we basically just shut them away in clinics and treat them without considering anything else to like, I, I do kind of like that he still takes that modern, don't kid yourself, this shit is still here amongst us, and we need to do better, you know, that's kind of how the movie finally like leaves off. I like that idea, at least, even if, you know, kind of like we we're just talking about like the hysterical woman, part of it is not, you know, necessarily like a better Mm -hmm. but I I do think it's interesting that again this movie was so controversial when it came out and yeah some of the content in here is definitely like shocking for the time I can imagine but just the idea of hey guess what we've always treated women poorly historically here's a giant treatise on how religion and superstition and all of this has led to the murder of lots of innocent people you know and like let me dig up these old scars and open these 
old wounds back up so that we can all consider like for our modern times what we are now doing and how we're treating people and i think ultimately like that's what's interesting about this movie is this is still shit that's going on today that we're still having to deal with and women are still having to deal with just none of it's new none of it has changed that much yeah actually i do think the overarching idea if if kind of nothing else has gotten from this sort of documentary movie is that idea of how dangerous superstition is and the one scene that clicked for me very early on and just kind of stayed with me through the movie it's in part one way at the beginning where there are two men who get a corpse they say like we need to pray before we do this action and they stop to pray and they say forgive us for defiling this body we're going to cut it open essentially and dissect it to learn about diseases and the causes of diseases yeah and that's okay exactly like someone witnesses them and like locks them in the door and runs out into the street and starts screaming i mean we assume it's silent but and that was really interesting is this pushback against you can't do that because we just don't do that and it's bad and it's like well no actually for progress and learning you have to do away with superstition well also to just the idea of but this is okay because they were men doing this and they were doctors right yeah that got me too yeah Yeah. so (laughs) yeah yeah very interesting shit well uh anybody have any final thoughts so i will say it's probably inappropriate to laugh at but i think one of the most impactful scenes to me was the very last scene where it shows three human figures being burned at the stake yeah it was very like whoa that's okay uh it was a a powerful image and he lingered on the image for several seconds and and then the screen cut to black and it said the end in swedish presumably which is forgive me the word slut period and so (laughs) yeah on my screen it was like this horrifying (laughs) image and then it just slut period (laughs) and i did i had a a very teenage moment of just giggling lol 14 yeah yeah, 14 year old (laughs) i was like that was rude I'm glad you brought that up, that image, too, because that lends a little more credence to what your point was, Aaron, of this being almost a warning, because the way he does set that up as he almost do that is like, this is what could happen again if we're not careful. Oh, right. So that's where I do agree with both of y'all on, on the sentiment of the filmmaker in this movie. But at the same time, I do think it was a little bit of, but we're like in the golden age of thought now. We know exactly what we're doing. By the way, yeah. hysteria is a real diagnosis. Like That is well, what's interesting now is obviously like this is 1922 and things were still uh backwards then compared to now so yeah all right cool cool well uh i guess if we don't have any final thoughts that is it for our discussion of 1922's hexen thank you lauren for coming on especially absolutely not just for coming on as a guest but also for something like this kind of off the wall yeah like this is something we've never we've never done anything like this yeah and apparently i just blew right through the text messages that kind of showed some more maybe interesting ways to watch the movie but i did i i really enjoyed it you were the only one who watched it correctly though (laughs) integrity yeah (laughs) if we want to yeah be like movie elitist about it you were the only one that watched it in the intended format I i was even thinking about about it when it started and i think the only silent movie i've ever seen was phantom of the opera yeah and i really i haven't seen much earlier than uh i think the earliest horror movie i've seen beyond that is freaks which was 1932 uh and so it definitely was kind of an experience to watch a movie from this time period and and try and put myself in 1920s headspace and whatever that looked like so yeah this was fun bringing that up just real quick before we close out to mirror what aaron said earlier in the movie i think the only other 
another silent movie I had really watched start to finish before this one was I did an art appreciation class in high school and our teacher showed us Metropolis the whole way through and it's so it, fucking good. I mean even as a teenager I kind of was like this is really fucking good like what um like this was made that long ago and it's better than majority of shit I've seen up to this point yeah so yeah check out Metropolis it's not a horror movie but it is a piece of cinema history that is still very impressive to see uh Lauren did you have anything you wanted to share like any social media or projects you have coming up to be on the lookout or uh not really just super excited for uh Halloween yeah going to watch definitely some comfort blanket Halloween movies so it's gonna be a good one yeah you still need to watch Event Horizon I, <laughs> I've been pushing her to watch Event Horizon you gotta Aaron. wait and see what that uh that Scream Factory version in January is gonna have also do yourself a favor and rewatch Tremors Lauren if you haven't seen it in a while and I still listeners and Aaron I still stand by my belief that Tremors is a better movie than Jurassic Park get the fuck out of here Jurassic Park created by John Hammond that's a callback <laughs> that's a good yeah. callback yeah. all right cool cool well that is it for this week once again we are watch if you dare a horror movie podcast hosted by your boy aaron the scary movie monster boy and my best friend Derek, the coward and every week we take a deep dive into a specific horror movie and that's that so yeah check us out on our socials um, we are watch if you dare on facebook and twitter download future episodes on basically every podcatcher at this point including amazon music music which is the newest one we've been added to because amazon music created a podcast aspect of their platform so we're on there now cool you can catch us basically everywhere at this point um definitely leave reviews on uh mainly apple Podcasts. that's the main one that gets the most attention and pushes the algorithms big thanks to my brother jesse for our bumps specifically the season of spook bump that we have going as well right now um, you can catch all of his stuff on Bandcamp under party gator he's also got some stuff under Big Clown right now as well too. Uh, they actually just did like a weird virtual set at Gonerfest. so definitely check his stuff out. Throw him a couple of bucks if you want some good music. His album Circution is out right now, which is fantastic. But yeah, beyond that, that is pretty much it. Do we have any final thoughts? I guess not. It's a silent movie. Done. Sally. Sally, yeah. Just pull up a subtitle that says Sally. <laughs> yes.